Welcome to episode 13 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast. This show was recorded Tuesday, March 6th, 2007. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast is a combination of some of the best cycling podcasts and blogs on the internet. Each show will bring together some of the most famous voices and writers in cycling for a lively discussion of the current cycling news. Check out our website at www.the-spokesmen.com. And now, here are the spokesmen. Well, at long last, we're back with Spokesman episode 13. Uh, today on the show, we have Tim Grawl, Carlton Reed, and Tim Jackson. Hi, guys. Hello there. Wow, that was nice. All in unison. So, um, just just a quick note of explanation. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, I was completely swamped with my Tour of California coverage. Uh, Tim Jackson was on his deathbed, we thought. Yeah. Uh, Carlton Reed was skiing in Vermont, and Tim Grawl was waiting by the phone for our call. So, Tim Grawl, thanks for being available for the spokesman. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, I'm here for you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, uh, no, we're glad to be back, and we're sorry for the, the short hiatus. We did not pod fade. We're still here. Uh, and there's a lot of news to talk about in the world of cycling. And so we're just going to jump right in and start talking about it. The first subject is one that I think has been brewing, oh, since last July, and that is the retirement of Jan Ulrich. Last week, Jan Ulrich announced that uh, he was done with cycling, and while he says that he always rode clean, uh, he just, his heart's not in it anymore, and, and uh, he's, he's tired of fighting the, the doping battles, and that's it for Jan Ulrich. He's going to be a consultant for a team, and, and uh, we will no longer see him in the pro peloton. Uh, Tim Jackson, uh, any thoughts about that? Well, where to begin? Uh, e- even just on the 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 face of it, it's it's pretty amazing to think that Jan won't be lining up in July at the start of the tour. It was crazy when he wasn't there last year because of the doping allegations. But uh, Jan was the the permanent foil to Lance's attempts to win the tour, and you know it was second in the tour five times. I mean that's that's pretty outstanding. Um, that's that's just amazing to me. He's a competitor that you hate to see not be in it. Um, you know, every every year was the same story where he was fat over the winter and the press ate him up, and then lo and behold, come July, he rode into this phenomenal shape for the tour and was always nipping at Lance's heels. And that's just to me that was always just such an incredible story. And you know, Lance always made a big deal of of Jan being his his biggest threat, even when everybody had written Jan off, Lance said, no, 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 <laughs> this is the guy. So I, I think that's pretty outstanding, uh, just that part of the story. Um, and obviously the, the bigger part of the story is the fact that he finally just got tired of it, or at least that's the way he's spinning it. Maybe there's more to it that's not quite as warm and fuzzy, but I'd, I'd rather hold on to the warm and fuzzy and just think that he's done. And uh Congratulations to Volksbank for picking him up as a, a consultant. Hopefully, he can infuse them with his, with the experience that he's had, and uh, both good and bad, um, and help their riders make it to the next level, or the team itself go to the Pro Tour. They've they've done some cool stuff with that program over the years. Uh, Carlton, is this is this big news in Europe, or is, or is was this a, a yawner over there? 
I was in America when it happened, mm. but uh, people across here said it was all over the TV screens, which uh, mean yes, it was it was pretty big news across here. Um, not terribly surprising. Uh, awfully sad, of course, if uh, it is subsequently found out that he he didn't uh, have anything to do with uh, Doctor Fuentes, and uh, it's such a shame that it it's it, it, he's an athlete that really wasn't of this time. He, he came up against Armstrong and uh, he, he probably would have, have won four or five Tour de France's if it wasn't for for Lance. So he just, he's just at the wrong time, wrong place. And he, he clearly spiralled out of, out of control after his first victory. So he, he needed a lot more um, management than he actually ever got. You know, you know, there's something in the story here from the BBC that, that uh, I mean, maybe I missed it when it when it occurred, but um, and and it's funny because Tim Jackson it, it says he also battled weight problems in the off season and was dropped by Team Telecom in 2002 after a positive test for amphetamines. Yep. Ulrich claimed the drug had been spiked into an ecstasy pill he had taken in a nightclub. Ecstasy is not a banned substance in the UCI. I mean, uh, maybe they just don't know how to test for it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they don't look for the guys that are real sweaty and have huge pupils. I don't know. <laughs> Well, I, I, you know, I, I guess, uh, you know, he says he never cheated as a cyclist, which means, you know, he, he never took, took drugs. It, it, at least he's claiming he never took drugs when he was riding. But right. uh, I don't know a whole lot of professional athletes that will will take ecstasy, uh, even in the off season. It seems to me that they they try to keep their bodies as as pure as possible. So I think there's and and, and Jan, you know, uh, always made the claim that it was, you know, one one of those youthful indiscretions. He was out with some friends. It had been a long season. You know, hey, why not take a little X and go rave? Right, right, right. He I mean, he is German. He didn't inhale either, right? They love the techno, so. Yeah. You know. Okay. So Jan was also probably one of those pro, weird pro cyclists who didn't sanitize doorknobs and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, if you think about some of the things that we've talked about, if I was a pro cyclist, I probably would do that, you know, because it, anything that's in your body, it, it, whether you in, intentionally ingested it or not, WADA right. and the UCI are going to say, well, you, you you were responsible for it. You took it. I mean, even if it was just some weird chemical mm. in your Cheerios in the morning. Yeah, and he it was clearly a stupid move on his part, not to not to belittle that with humor. It was it was a dumb move, and, and he got popped. Yeah, yeah no doubt. Um I think, though, that, that it, in a way, I think what's sad about it to me is how here was a guy who, as you've, you've all said, was at the top of his game, at the top of professional cycling, could have easily won the tour, uh, but for, for, for Lance. Right. And, and here's a guy who really got railroaded and, and run out of town, if you will, by a mob. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is the sad part of the story. Yeah, because let's assume for a moment, hypothetically, that he didn't do it, then he really got got run out of town, and it's 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 that's the sad part for me. I would agree with that. He he was the last athlete, maybe the last athlete to come through the the East German um, system, which he yeah. maybe was rebelling against because that was clearly a, it was a drug laden system. It was a, 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 a very Teutonic, uh, dictatorial system where they were really uh, controlling their athletes. And, and he was rebelling against that when he came free of the East German system. So th there's that part to him too. But don't forget, he did win the Tour de France. So, you know, he, it's just that he, he didn't win right. lots of them. 
Right, exactly. Right. You know, it, it's funny. I'm glad you brought up the East German thing because I know that that's in his background, and that's something that I mean, you know, there were plenty of Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live skits about that, about the East Germans doping, and and uh, yeah, uh, you, yeah. You know, and you can remember all of that. And so he's only 33 years old, but you're right. He he did come from that era, at least in the early part of his life, and so I'm I'm glad to know that he did rebel against that because that was. Uh, um, a drug-laden system, as you said. Um, speak- and he is, of course, an East German weightlifter called Jennifer. That's his real name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of speaking. drugs, uh, something you, you brought up this morning, Carlton, is the UCI has this new uh, drug testing regime that almost is going to rival WADA. Why don't you tell us about that? We know nothing about it, unfortunately. We, we, we have the, the leaks and the UCI is saying what it's going to be doing. And it all sounds wonderfully laudable. It, it's, we're going to be very tough. We're going to have all of these extra um, drug uh, testing techniques. But it's not actually playing the game in that uh, WADA has its it, uh, prescribed uh, load of tests. And now UCI is going to have these extra tests. So I've seen no report from WADA to say, to slap the UCI down, but it's coming because all sports sign up to this, this WADA code of conduct in which they're meant to be singing from the, the, the same hymn sheet. And he is the UCI claiming to be tougher than any other sport, which, which we already know it, it is, but bringing in new tests and all of which is just going to be this massive collision course with with water again. And this time it seems to be odd that cycling is going to be taking this mainly tough stance, but it's still going to come to collision course with uh, with water. So it's just another example of the UCI doing stuff off its own bat and not really having any form of consensus away. So... Tim Grawl, I got to ask you a question because I mean, one of the things that we we joke about here every once in a while is that we get off on these these weird Eurocentric uh, uh, road cycling uh, tangents, and we sort of leave you out there hanging. And so I've got a question for you as somebody who is a cyclist and very much involved in the in the bicycle industry, but who doesn't so much focus on all this this roady stuff like like we seem to. How is all of this difficulty with doping in road cycling, how's it being handled by uh, those who are in the bicycle world, but not necessarily in this Euro um, Pro Tour bicycle world? I would say in most part it's just being ignored. I mean, in most of the blogs I read, uh, if it's referred to, it's you know more of a side note of, hey, there's more doping scandal. And um, a lot of it, like I've especially with this whole thing we're going to get into in a little bit between the uh what the UCI and the AESO or whatever mm-hmm. the the people that run the uh, Tour de France and such uh it just seems like a bunch of bickering women that uh can't get their act together and uh, you know we don't really care it doesn't really affect us but in my mind um it makes me shy away from having any kind of governing body uh, especially as uh, there's more and more talk about uh, putting a governing body over endurance racing since it's, since it's getting so big and uh, there's nobody really in charge. 
Uh, and it just makes me even more want to shy away from something like that because it seems like uh, there is a governing body for road cycling and it's always a mess. So, But I would say in most part it's just, I mean, people don't really care if they're not really big into uh, pro cycling. Uh, it's just what's happening on the other side of the world and nobody really cares. And without a governing body in, say, endurance racing, by which you mean 24-hour events and such, right? Right. Well... Yeah, 24-hour events are part of it. Okay. Now, without a governing body there, although there is a governing body for the National Mountain Bike Series, right? Right. Um, are they doing the kind of drug testing there that they're doing on these UCI events and even here on the Continental events? Um, honestly, I'm not sure. I don't. I don't think so. I mean, I haven't. I haven't heard much about it. But honestly, I think it comes back to what we talked about before is just there's less money involved. Mm. Um, and where, where you have less money, you have less people trying – the less people are going to try to cheat and get away with things because there's not a big purse or a big uh, big sponsorship at stake. So I would argue against that particular point only because, as I've said before, I know guys who race Masters crits on the weekends where, at best, they're going to win a $25 gift certificate to the local coffee shop who, who dope because it's just it's the chance to win. So it's just so, – so for – there are so those – uh, so, so, Tim, do you think there's as much doping in mountain biking It's just not talked about? I do, Absolutely. Now, now, just for a moment, I I don't know that. <clears throat> excuse me, that in the on the twenty four hour circuit, if it's um, such an issue. But when you're talking cross country, heck yeah. Well, I don't want to make an unsupported you allegation need, here, but you, if you were you, if you were doing well, twenty four hour racing, uh, and you really wanted to have a performance advantage, I mean, you're going to start with the caffeine, but. Caffeine right. could be your gateway drug yeah, yeah. to amphetamines and things like that, right? Again, I'm not trying to make it an unsubstantiated un, un, un allegation, but right. Right. it's entirely possible, isn't it? Right. Well, Tim, you don't you don't think it has anything to do with the amount of cash that's at the the uh, at the finish line of whether or not? Yeah, I mean, you you know people that do that, but would you say, wide and large, people that race for no money are doping to win? The ones that are doping are doping to win, yeah. But I, I, I think that, that my, my argument has always been re with regards to doping and, and why people dope is that it's it's not just about the money. It's about the perceived uh, notoriety, recognition, or fame, or, or whatever you want to call it, or just that weekend warrior glory. Call it ego. To be able to, yeah, ego, exactly. To be able to stand up taller than your buddies and say, ha-ha, I won. And that I think that's a part of of human nature, and uh, is something that belies all sports. Well, speaking of ego, I think that the, just to sort of circle back around to where we started with this conversation. Yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean no, to no, 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 it's okay. No, we all did it. It's fine. Um, I, I think that that part of this could be, and again, Carlton's right. We don't have the details here. It was just something that, that Cycling News mentioned and other news agencies have picked up, I think that part of this could be a little bit of Pat McQuaid's ego in that he wants more control over what's going on with uh, the possibility of doping in professional cycling. And on the other end of the spectrum, I think that uh, Dick Pound and WADA, I think their egos are going to get involved, and I think that there's going to be uh, 
I think if this is true, I think there's going to be a growing rift between the UCI and WADA, and you know it's gonna it's gonna be just another battle for for Pat McQuaid to fight while he's right. fighting this Grand Tour battle. Right, a- another uh, large uh, argument going on in cycling. Go ahead, Carlton. Well, and David, the the, the other thing, the the rant your head off um, blog, the thing that I also sent across. Maybe you can reference that in, in the show notes. Sure. Because he's he's making a, a a great point about how this is just, why create uh, new tests when the current tests are not even sorted out correctly yet. So let's 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 reform yeah. the current um, uh, bad practices before we even start adding in new ones where new problems could come up. So let's let's UCI really ought to be focusing on on uh, trying to reform or try to convince others. That uh, WADA should be reformed. You know, there was an article in the USA Today last week about a drug testing lab here at UCLA and how the individuals there and the researchers there are trying to work on a athlete certification program so that if they could find the proper tests, they would then issue ID cards to those athletes who have voluntarily become members of their program and they would walk around and say, I'm racing clean or I'm competing clean, whatever mm. sport they, they wanted. And the tagline at the end of the article said that the one area in which they're finding the most interest from athletes is cycling. Uh, and mm. I don't think that that's surprising. In, in the UK. In the UK, we have uh, the national teams now go through an, a, this uh, separate team called 100% Me. Maybe you've seen their their their, uh, their snazzy jerseys with this 100% yeah, uh, that's right. logo on there. Yeah, yeah. Sure. And that they 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 sign up to the same self-certification system where they're very strict. And uh, British cycling has always been. British cycling, as in the the body, has always been super strict uh, on all forms of uh, anti-doping and you know they they were really deeply saddened when the David Miller thing came up because he was going through their system um, and it, he's since been brought back into their system and is now subscribing to the you know the hundred percent me uh, just uh, along with all these youth development riders so that's a, a, a great program going forward and we have a couple of national teams here in the US that are doing the same thing team slipstream Power, yeah. powered by Chipotle, mm-hmm. uh, they're doing the exact same thing. They they are testing often, uh, and every one of their riders mm-hmm. is being tested uh, on a, on a really regular basis, which I think is just just a good thing in in one respect because it shows that they race clean. On the other hand, it's a little bit sad that they have to do it. But welcome yeah. to the world that to we live in. The credibility. Yeah. But I think they're also eating organic bean burritos, so that <laughs> that may be help, helping things. Really big. <laughs> Organic bean burritos. Yeah. Um, you so notice that no one drafts those guys. <laughs> you know, they showed up on the podium on the first day of the Tour of California carrying huge burritos. Uh-huh. So uh, that, <laughs> I think that was a first. Um, well, let's talk about this this other rift in the UCI's world, and that is this whole thing about the UCI versus the Grand Tour. So let me back up and just give a little bit of background when the UCI Pro Tour was announced, the Grand Tour organizers, namely those who organized the Tour de France, the Giro d'Italia, the Vuelta a España, as well as the, the smaller races every year that they all organize, they weren't real happy with the way that the UCI was saying, well, you have to invite all 20 of our teams. Uh, you, it's a closed system. You, you have to subscribe to our calendar. And they've really been pushing back against that. Then, this year, 
the organizers of the Tour de France, also the organizers of, of they're the same people who organized Paris Nice, said we're only going to be inviting 18 teams, and they were leaving out the Unibet team and Team Astana. And this created a rift with the UCI such that by the time we were in the middle of the Tour of California, the UCI had issued a press release and an order to all of the Pro Tour teams that said, under our program, there are 20 teams, they are all invited, or none of them are allowed to participate. And the UCI told the teams, you may not participate. At a press conference at the Tour of California, uh, Patrick Lefebvre, the director sportif of Team Quickstep, and also sort of the representative of all of the other teams, uh, he, he made some really great comments. The first thing he said was that he was tired of being handed the warm potato uh, by by the the Grand Tours and by the UCI. He, he was tired of, of, of being in the middle. And he says, you know what? You can't make a film without actors. And in this film, we employ the actors. And at a certain point, essentially, we're going to take our actors and go someplace else. Okay, so now let's fast forward to yesterday. They now have an agreement, finally. Yeah. And, and really, it, it looks to me like the UCI was the one that caved. Yep, it does. Uh, basically, they said, yeah, it's okay. You can only include 18 of the 20 teams, and hopefully... Uh, hopefully you'll consider the other two as yeah, well. Yeah, hopefully yeah. There'll, there'll be wild cards. What the heck is going on here, guys? That is so lame, and the, the lamest one of them. I mean, I feel, I, I feel terrible for uh, Alexander Vernokhorov because, yet again, he's looking at possibly not being able to rate the tour if ASO keeps their heads up their butt. Uh, but the other is Unibet. They're, they're holding Unibet out because it's illegal to, to publicize gambling in France, and yet Française des Jeux is all about gambling. Those hypocritical sons of... It just drives me freaking nuts. And then Predictor Lotto from Belgium, they're looking at suddenly not being able to do it too. But you notice neither of those two teams are being held out of races or being made to race in different jerseys as Unibet was. So it really is just about Unibet for whatever reason. It's not about the gambling issue. And that I think that that's just absolutely ludicrous and lame. And, you know... I, I've always tried to keep a level head about not being a French hater because I think that's just stupid. But right now, I'm leaning way towards that camp because I think this is just one of the lamest things I've ever heard in cycling. It is just so bogus and stupid. It just, okay, I've had too much coffee already. I'm getting pissed. It's just, it's stupid. I, I'm really sorry you don't have an opinion on this, Tim. Oh, let, me, let me think about it for a little while and I might be able to come up with one. Okay, and that's Tim Jackson. For today. Go for president of UCI. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can be as much of an opinionated son of a gun as anybody, I guess. But it it just seems so so weak and stupid. It's just the flimsiest argument of all. And the and the thing is, is that is that the UCI just caved. You know, I they I think that the the teams really must have put the pressure on them. Yes, uh, they did. But and they really want to salvage the pro tour, and they think this is the only way they're going to have the opportunity because if they <laughs> If they lose the Pro Tour, they, they, they lose face in such a huge way because they meddled so hard for this. Is there anything else to say on the subject, or has Tim said it all? <laughs> I'll shut up now. <laughs> you know, I, I'd like to go back on what uh, Tim Grohl said before about how they're, they're, they're like bickering, bickering women. Yeah. Now, and I'd like to disagree with that by saying 
if anything, if there was women in charge of these two organizations, ASO and UCI, we would not be having these ego standoffs. Yeah. We would get consensus quite quickly uh, because that's the female thing to go for. And what we've got here is just, it, it's, it is so much testosterone coursing through all their systems. Uh, and the, the irony there, of course, is with... Uh, yeah, exactly. We need to test these guys for their levels of <laughs> testosterone because they, like they are too to argumentative. <laughs> yeah. They they are not looking at the. I mean, this is the, in fact this is the first example of of the at least one side caving, which is which is a good thing, and it needed to happen because you can't have these kind of fights. And if we did have women in charge, which is what I would like to see, we just wouldn't get this kind of stuff. We'd we'd have a much better racing scene. This is why Carlton gets the ladies. I just want to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going for the women's vote here. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Handering. <laughs> well, I, I, I think that, that uh, somebody could be on the patch, and we need to check this out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I, but one I, of the two has got pimples all over his back. Yeah, I, you know what? It's, it's, it's a, it, this situation has been going on for, for well over a year. It's been silly the entire time, and it only gets sillier. But the mood at the tour of California was really was really down, Be not about the, the race, but but it was really down because everybody was worried. Well, what's going to happen when we get to Europe? When we get back home, and are we racing? What are we going to be doing with our lives? This is this is our living, and these two organizations are working to kill our way of life. Yeah, you know the way yeah, that the we make riders are caught family. in the middle. There's such they're, they're a ping pong ball between two paddles, and they're just getting beat across the table. Yeah, and I just think that it's just. It's ludicrous. Maybe Tim. Maybe Tim Grawl is right. No, no organizing committees. <laughs> you know, no sanctioning bodies. Yeah, just let them race. Yeah. Um. Well, let's let's uh, just really quickly let's talk about racing. We just finished the tour of California uh, out here. It was once again enormously successful. One point six million fans came out to watch the race. Now I. Somebody said, I think it was uh, Vodders at the final press conference, that NASCAR gets about 8 million spectators a year. Does that sound right to you? Uh, I, that number seems small to me. That's what I thought. But let's let's maybe it's maybe that's butts in seats. You know, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't think that includes viewers on television. Yeah, because that's that's in the millions and millions each race. Well, let's say for a moment that they get 8 million, as you said, butts in the seats. Uh, at races for one week of cycling to get mm -hmm. 1.6 million people out there on the roads is pretty darn good for the United States. Especially in California where you have so many distractions. Mm -hmm. That's always been a problem with, with pro events in, in California is that you know they could either go sit down and watch a pro event or they could go to the beach or they could go to the desert or they could go skiing. You know that's 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 always been one of the big groans at least in San Diego that's why pro sports have done so bad. Right. Carlton? I think it's the same in uh, all sports and even soccer, football, whatever you want to call it across here. If you actually just look at weekly attendance at physical matches, it's not that high. Where you get the, the money coming into the sport is all from, from, from TV. Sure. So to get that many people at the, the Tour of California was, was phenomenal. So uh, good on them. I, mean, I was looking at the pictures and listening to your podcast and stuff and thinking, what an incredible event that, that's now become. Yeah. So, yeah. so the question became. Uh, actually, I had, I had a couple of people say say interesting things to me. Number one, I was talking all week about, well, gee, couldn't this become a pro tour event? And I think that somebody, 
made a really great point. I think it was a listener of mine that emailed me and said, yeah, don't push too hard for that mm. because we had nine pro tour teams, but then we had all those pro continental teams. Right. And that's where guys, you know, a lot of the guys who are in the pro peloton now, the, the, the international pro peloton, this is, these are the kind of races where they were discovered. And if this became a pro tour event and we had 18 or 20 pro tour teams, then the slipstream mm-hmm. team and the priority health team and et cetera, et cetera, they wouldn't be here. And I thought that that was a really good point. Absolutely. You, you look That's at the point. opening of the race, and I, for the life of me, cannot remember the, the guy's name from Chipotle, who uh, ended up getting second, but he sat on the hot seat the most of the day. I mean, it, it's incredible. And uh, was, it Jason, did... was it Jason Donald? Uh, I'm trying to look that up right now. But you know what's funny about that is if you listen Donald, to... It you, is Jason Donald. Yeah, what a awful guy. And if you listen to Phil Liggett the whole day, he was saying, oh, you know, I wonder if the clocks were wrong. Yeah. And then when exactly. Levi came across, all of a sudden there was no more question about the clock. The clocks, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the the other thing a, that people a, have said to me, it, two things, is number one, it's not hard enough. And number two, it's too commercialized. And... I don't. I don't. I think it was hard enough. You can't kill yeah. the pro peloton in February, right? And I think that. And I, I get, about being too commercialized. I don't know. Have you ever looked at really what goes on at the Tour de France? Exactly. How does how does a pro event become too commercialized? I mean, unless they're stopping to film commercials during the stage, it's not too commercialized. <laughs> I didn't hear I mean, Levi say he was going to Disneyland. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I'm going to go sit down and watch a Discovery Channel documentary now. Right. I mean, it's it wasn't anything like that. I mean, any anybody who thinks that pro sports are not commercial is kidding themselves. That's why they're there. Yeah, I mean, look they at, are a rolling, jumping, land commercial. That's back, what they are. Getting back to NASCAR, look at those cars. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you're right. the The event is is hard enough, and you you can't go out and do a three week tour in February because no one from the the big pro teams will show up because it's too soon in the year to do that kind of thing. That said, uh, the Tour of California has a wonderful spot on the calendar because guys are interested in being here. I mean, you look at you look at Paolo Bettini being here. Paolo wouldn't have been here in May or June for any event. Because he's got bigger fish to fry in Europe. So if, if we want to see those kinds of riders over here, then we have to have a spot on the calendar that's a little more accommodating to their their training and early season goals. So I don't see any issue with that. And you don't need to be a pro tour event because you have no real European brands to promote. This is this is an American event. It can it can stay proudly American. It really doesn't need to get messy with, with all this European crap. Yep. <laughs> Although Pat McQuaid was here, by the way. Yes, I saw the pictures, yes. Yeah, he showed up Were there here. dark clouds following him everywhere he went? Yeah, I don't want to get in trouble here because, I'm, <laughs> you know, it, it, it turns out I, I realized that, that for I'm friends with his brother, believe it or not. And, really? Yeah. and uh, some, funny. A, a, a guy who was, um, he had a mountain bike magazine back when I was in the, in the bike industry. And uh, I, I met him at the Tour of California. And I, we looked at each other. We knew we knew each other. And uh, we were riding together in the car, and literally, I was going to pull out my trio and Google him to see, you know, how do I know this guy? And somehow we figured out that we had done business together, and so it was great to see him. And I said, you know, you're not related. He goes, oh, yeah, it's my brother. And I was like, oh, okay. So no, <laughs> I don't, don't want to get in trouble here, but... Your brother's an ass. No, 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 no. <laughs> Pat just, if you look at my pictures that I took at the tour of California, I didn't find one where he looked happy. 
Yeah. And and uh, you know I certainly can't be. Yeah. So that was the, that was my only comment. He just doesn't look happy. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's a tough time for the UCI. I think it's tough for 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 everything that's going on with whether it's with doping or with the Grand Tours or or any of that. So I. I it's a tough time for pro sport, period. Yeah, that's true. Let's let's talk for a second about where you were when we tried to talk to you, and, and the listeners probably didn't hear it because I cut it out of the show. Yeah. I probably shouldn't have because we had so much fun at your expense. I, uh, I figured as much. You were in Taiwan a couple of weeks ago, and you were over there for that's business. Correct. And you blogged about this, and I will put that in the show notes. But I thought it would be interesting if the listeners heard your comments about Taiwan. I've been over there. I think, t- uh, Carlton, you've been over there before, haven't you? No, oh, this never. Is be about your first to go, but up. Yeah, it is. It is yeah. to get to meet, hopefully. Oh, that's great. Well, yeah. well, there there are a lot of misconceptions about Taiwan. I've spent a lot of time there. I've spent a lot of time in bike factories and component factories, and so I have a pretty pretty good handle on it. But Tim, I thought that you might briefly sort of give us a little report on your trip, and absolutely, and, and because there are people who think that everything that comes out of Taiwan is 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 copied from someone else or it's patent infringement or it's a piece of junk and you and I both know that that's not true so give us a little report on what you saw over there certainly um, you know, as I said repeatedly on my blog and also said on on the uh, my uh, the bicycle marketing watch the uh, shut up and drink the Kool-Aid site same thing um, it, Taiwan is a, a wonderful set of contradictions because it, it does have this reputation of being gross and smelly and polluted and all this kind of stuff outside of its relationship with the cycling industry and yet you get there and yeah it is some of those things but you get out of the cities and it's it's just absolutely this sparkling gem I mean it's just it's a beautiful place that and the people were wonderful it was professionally one of the best experiences I've I've had in my life and I I don't say that lightly it was it was really it was a great experience um, and then you move on to the the bike related stuff and for a bike nerd oh my god I mean it's it's you know yeah Italy Europe that's that's the kind of the birthplace of, of what we consider cycling and its wonderful heritage but every bike nerd needs to make a pilgrimage to Taiwan and go see some of the most incredible doodads and gleaming pieces of anodized aluminum that you could possibly imagine it was I, I saw stuff there that just blew my mind that was all about being designed and produced there it wasn't some European or American design that was being ripped off and copied these were people who really know what they're doing they know the sport they know the product and they're just so enthusiastic about it because they're Taiwan is finally beginning to come into its own as a good thing you know, to the cycling industry, and it's it's less of a, a liability in, in many people's minds now, which is great. They're starting to wake up. Um, you know, heck, Colnago is being made in Taiwan and China with the A team. So how bad can it be? And it was it was great. I said, for example, uh, I won't mention the the manufacturer just because it was a, a prototype product that I was looking at, and I don't want to out them. But they showed me a rear hub with a cassette mechanism that was the smoothest working cassette mechanism that I have it, 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 I've, I've ever seen. I mean, it was just insane. And it had an option to be even tighter. And it was just, it was blowing my mind how well this thing worked, how light it was. And then you spin the thing, and even just holding the axle between your fingers and giving the hub flange a little spin, it seemed like it was never going to stop. 
it was just it, it was just one of the most incredible pieces of of bike nerdery that I've seen in a long time, and it was it was great. And you know, I just I I think people need to really take into consideration the products that they're buying and how good they are and what they're getting for their money, and disregard the made in Taiwan sticker if they see it on there because believe me, it is not a liability. And again, I swear I say this not just because that's where my product comes from, but because I believe it because it's you have to see it for yourself and and just kick the tires, look at the product. It was just incredible. I met with one of my frame suppliers uh, and uh, by the name of Caribou. I'll, I'll go ahead and out myself there. These people make some of the most incredible product I've ever seen. And you, you know, you talk about someone brazing steel tubes and lugs. I, I, I stood in awe watching this frame builder build frames. It was just insane. The way this guy was laying down. A, a bead, oh man! <laughs> I mean, for for a bike nerd, I, I my my eyes teared up. It was just, it was phenomenal. I was really, I was giddy. So, there are good things in Taiwan. So, for for those of us who go to, you know, the Interbike Show and we and we walk through that, we pass through that Taiwan Pavilion. Mm-hmm. Just to be fair, I mean they're still making low end products there. There's no oh, doubt about that. But I guess you, your point is that when you're when you're looking at their the high end products, you you can't discount them anymore the way perhaps 15 years ago you might have said, "Ooh, that's from Taiwan." You, you mm-hmm. don't want to you know you don't want to spend that kind of money on that. Yeah, they've they've gotten it down, and absolutely there are plenty of oddball hokey products being made there. You 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 can find some stuff that you know you would never want to see on your bike or you know somebody else's bike for that matter because it's just too funny. One of one of my favorites was a water bottle that doubles as a cigarette ashtray. <laughs> the the top half is an ashtray, uh, complete with a little lid to keep the cigarette from blowing out while you're riding. I guess I'm not exactly <laughs> sure. It clamps onto the cigarette, and then the bottom half is a water bottle. Why you would want to drink out of your ashtray, I don't know. But uh, that's a great cruiser product. Exactly. Exactly. So I was laughing. I was in hysterics when this product was presented to me. I was like, oh, really? Okay, this is great. So how many factories did you, did you end up going to when you were there? Uh, this, you'll, you'll appreciate this, David, because you've been there. But in five days, we met with 26 vendors. Oh, that's exhausting. Believe me, we were, we were so worn out when we got on the plane to come back. I think all of us slept. Now, and was, I can't sleep on a plane to save my life, and I slept. Was this all in the Taichung area, or were you in, in other Yeah, this areas? was all Taichung. This was all Taichung. Wow. Which is in the south-ish. That's yeah, sort of in the middle, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you're right. You're right. It is more towards the middle. So you, you, you know, if, if you think you saw 26 different people, and you were only in the Taichung area, you know, you saw a small yeah. fraction. And this is the important thing for people. That and we had to cancel there. appointments, too. Yeah, you we saw a small to meet fraction. A little over 30. Yeah, of the people that are there. There's so many bicycle and bicycle component manufacturers there spread all over the country from the north up in Taipei all the way down to the south in Kaohsiung. So that's the thing that people really need to understand. Bicycle manufacturing and bicycle component manufacturing is a huge business. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they they court it openly. They want uh, not only my business, but they want the entire industry's business. Taiwan really does want to be 
the hub and the wheel of the cycling industry. They they really are pursuing it, and they, as as a nation, I mean, they, they have government programs that are facilitating that goal, and I think that's just awesome. You know, you 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 get off the plane and you see signs that are in Chinese that are about what they do in the cycling industry. And, you know, you talk to these vendors, you go to places, and cycling industry is is huge. It is absolutely huge. Well, you and Carlton are going to the Taipei show, so hopefully you'll come back and give us a report on the sportsman yeah. and let everybody know what you saw there. Yeah, I can't, I can't wait to, to see some of this stuff. I'm going for the ashtray thing. Tell me the stand. Ashtray. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll and talk. You, and you, say, you say that about how... You know, they do make crap. Well, you can say that about the U.S. too. Anybody. It's not like exactly. every, everything in the U.S. is wonderful. Yeah, believe me, I have, I have received samples of frames that were made in the U.S. that there's no way in hell I'd ever throw a leg over. Yeah, yeah. that's a good point, Tim. Thank you for making it. Um, but not my laundry machinery, by the way. <laughs> Top notch. That's right. Top notch. That's right. Um, oh, I, I need a new dryer. Can you hook me up with one of those? Yeah, you, 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 the problem is it's about as big as your house. That's that's the problem with what oh. we make. Yeah. All right. Well, I have a big... You only have to do one load at a time. Yeah, for <laughs> the whole true. year. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> you have no idea how that would simplify my life. I have a lot of socks, David. Yeah, a lot well, of socks. And, and we specialize in losing them in the dryer. <laughs> Okay, so moving I back bet that on, one would eat. I bet that one would eat some socks, wouldn't it, David? I bet it would. Uh, yeah, we're good for the hosiery industry. Um, I I almost don't want to talk about this, but have have you guys seen the comments that people have made on our blog about what we've talked about with mandatory helmet use? Was somebody upset? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I don't know if you guys want to talk about this again or not, but... It's... I wasn't in on that conversation last time, so... Oh, well, then, Tim Jackson, how do you feel about mandatory helmet use? Um, I, I think anytime you make helmet use compulsory for the general public, it's, it's, going, to be, it's going to be received unfavorably. Um, I am personally in favor of uh, helmet use, and I'm a big-time advocate of helmet use. I've... I've seen people in comas because they didn't have a helmet on, and uh, from a first-hand perspective, let me tell you, that's something you never want to see is someone you know with their cracked open on the asphalt. That's not a pretty picture. That'll, that'll make you a helmet advocate instantaneously. And every time my son goes out the door, even on a skateboard, if he's just going down to the corner, I make him put on his helmet, and he stomps his feet and complains and hates it, but you know what? All it takes is a rock and... It's different. Yeah, that sounds really paranoid, but you know, it. I don't. I don't ride down the street at all without a helmet on. In fact, I think I shower with a helmet on half the time because <laughs> I could slip and fall and hurt myself. But it, it's as as far as competition goes, <laughs> from a racing standpoint, absolutely, it should be compulsory. And anybody who complains about it, it fine. Don't race. It's your choice. But for riding down the street, just... you, you want to encourage it, but you don't want to make it compulsory. Well, I, personally, yeah, I want to make it compulsory, but I, I know that it's just like with the, the uh, motorcycle helmet laws. Um, they're constantly trying to repeal the one here in California. I'm sure you've seen that several times. Yeah, of and course. It's, it, to me, it's, it's almost laughable in how ludicrous the arguments are. And you know, there, there are those who say, oh, yeah, you could get killed because you're wearing a helmet. Hmm. You know, I don't buy that. And there's plenty of people who say they have all the evidence in the world to prove that that's the fact. But, 
I don't know. I, I, I think the compulsory is just so polarizing that it's it's tough. Okay, I think it, 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 okay. As a society, it's where we draw the line. Because uh, Tim brought up the case of I'll wear a, a helmet in the shower as, as a ludicrous thing to do. But there was a case, and I think it's two years ago, of a cyclist who died when he hit his head in the shower. And this was big news on cyclenews.com uh, at the time. I covered it as well, in that you, you get your head anywhere. anywhere. Once you start legislating people to wear their helmets in a recreational uh, activity, it's a very, very slippery slope. You really have got to legislate for them wearing them in showers, in beds, in cars, in all sorts of places where you may injure your head. Statistically, if you want to go protect people, you've got to protect them in cars. You must make people wear uh, crats in cars. You want to save lives? That. Do not ask for mandatory helmet use for cyclists because statistically, if you look at a, a longitudinal study across the whole of the population, it is legible. And yes, of course, we've all seen people who've cracked their head open uh, when they're falling from bike. But I've also seen crack their head open from walking along a pavement, from uh, falling out of a tree. Lots of populations have problems with head injuries. Old people, please wear your helmet if you are old and you're walking down the street because you are at a huge risk of hitting your head when you fall on that ice. Well, and they need hip padding at that point, too. Mm-hmm. I think the line is where don't legislate me to protect me from myself, but legislate me to protect me from other people. That To me, that's the, that's the logical line is don't make me protect me from myself, but legislate protecting me from other people and protecting other people from me. So that's the that's rationale choice. for a seatbelt law. Well, we talked about that. Well, no, I'm just, I'm just clarifying. That's all. No, listen. Uh, right. let, me be, let me be clear because maybe I haven't been. I don't believe that helmet law, mandatory helmet laws, are a good thing. I, 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 I've been very clear that I wear a helmet every single time, like Tim, every single single time I get on my bike, even if it's just to ride down to the corner, you know, to to get a popsicle with my kids at the local uh, mini mart. Or a case of PBR. Yeah, I, exactly. I don't think. That um, I, I don't want my government saying you must wear a helmet. That strikes me the wrong way. I like, however, the seatbelt law. That makes sense to me, and it is saving lives because, as Tim Grawl, you've said, it protects me, for instance, which happened to me a couple of months ago, from the guy who I'm stopped at a red light and decides to rear end me because he isn't even looking at it at me and hasn't even tapped his brakes. So in that case, I was protected because I was wearing my seatbelt from him, right? Right. So I mean, that's your point, right? No, well, the, no, the point, the point I have with the seatbelt is that it's proven that if I have a seatbelt on and I get in a wreck, I stay in better control of the car, right? which means I won't hit other people. I won't end up in my back seat. My car is out of control going down the road. So that... <clears throat> that is my argument for that is that me wearing a seatbelt will save other people's lives. Okay. Me wearing a helmet will not save other people's lives. It will only save my life, and so that should be my decision and not the government's decision to make me wear that helmet. I agree with the seatbelt laws and other laws 
that protect other people from me. Does that make more sense? Yeah, that makes sense. And is you're a dangerous person, I've noticed. Well, you know, just hang around to me for a little bit. Uh-huh. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, so the four of us, I think, are in agreement, perhaps for different reasons, in saying, wear your helmet. We're going to encourage you to wear your helmet, but don't legislate that we have to wear a helmet. And I I'm going to take all of you. Okay, good. All right. So there you go, folks. So, I, I don't want to talk well, about this again. <laughs> well, I'm wondering what were the comments from uh, some of the re- listeners. You know, take take a look at, at the blogs. I'm looking at one right now. A guy by by the name of Mark said, "I just listened to your February 5th podcast. I agree that helmets should be worn, but not mandated. If we're going to require helmets so that an injured person doesn't become a burden to society, why don't we start regulating things that are proven to cause harm to individuals and others? Things like alcohol and tobacco. Those are two things that people use every day, are proven to have the ability to cause injury to themselves and others, and cause many more individuals to be hospitalized every year than bicyclists who sustain head injuries. Yet there's no law mandating prevention of their use. Why mandate the use of a helmet when we don't do anything about more obvious problems? Now, I don't want to get into the secondhand smoke conversation, okay? But, you know, his point, is, I think, is is well taken. There are other people who... I got emails from people saying... Um, which one of you was it, Tim or Carlton, who was talking about the the study that showed if you were wearing a helmet and you slid across the ground and your head got snagged? Who who talked about that study? Anyway, well, there was... Uh, I was talking about how um, what if your head is hitting the ground from a side angle, right. the helmet could actually cause more damage. Right, than, and, uh, and, and so I got emails on, on that point as well, saying, well, you know, then there's this study that says the, the opposite. And so... Listen, you get five people in a room on a controversial topic, and you get ten different opinions. And we got a lot of opinions. So, anyway, I don't, I don't want to talk about this again. Is that okay, guys? <laughs> Can we go back to drugs and talk about doping anymore? Yeah, I don't want to talk about doping oh. anymore either. You're absolutely right. Oh, come <laughs> on, Tim. All right, moving on. Really quickly, Carlton, I was hoping that you could, you could give us some tips here. Um, you recently went to a conference or a class, I'm not sure which, on coaching kids for cycling. And I was hoping that you might be able to tell us a little bit about that and maybe uh, give us some tips on ha- preparing kids for, for getting out there and getting on their bikes. Uh, yeah, well, it's a, it's a British cycling um, course, and it, it prepares coaches. And In fact, every coach who wants to become a coach um, a person who wants to become a coach, even to elite athletes, has to go through these number of stages and has got to go through this particular stage, which I've done. So I was in uh, the Manchester Velotro with some, some uh, world-class uh, stars who wanted to progress and become uh, one-on-one coaches with, with pro athletes who are still having to do the, the, the little kid course, which, uh, which I'm doing. But it is, from my point of view, it is to get more kids uh, into cycling, not I mean, it's, it's very much from the competitive angle, but the way I would approach it, 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 it wouldn't be so much uh, on on cherry picking the next um, Lance Armstrong and taking that all the way through. It's just getting a whole bunch of kids and just throwing them into the the, the whole maelstrom of what's available in the whole of cycling, and uh, showing them that you can you can. Uh, if you want to race, you can race BMXs, you can race mountain bikes, you can race on the track, you can do all these different disciplines, and hopefully introduce them to all these different disciplines. It's a very, very broad sport, and 
each speciality, you know, if you're a little skinny kid, you, you could be good at climbing. If you're a slightly heavier child, you could be good at uh, this form of cycling. So it's, it's just showing kids. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's showing kids uh, the, the, the whole world of cycling, really. And then I'm starting with, with the kids in my uh, little youth development cycling uh, club and pretty much just, just staying there and encouraging the, the local youth of, of my area. So that's really good. So uh, any awesome. idea on, on how you would encourage other people to get involved in, in programs like this? I'm sure there'll be very, very similar schemes uh, all around the world. It just so happens that the, the British Cycling Scheme uh, is extremely professional, extremely well thought out, and uh, you have to do all sorts of enormous um, child protection checks and all sorts to get on the program. And you've got to do first aid courses, and you, you, you've got to run through the, the whole group of things before you even get on the course. And then you get there, and it's a, it's you've, what I was doing was a, the first uh, day of the course, or the first part of the course is a two day almost resident thing where you're working for like 12 hours per day on very intensive subjects, and, and then you're having to use the skills you've, you've learned in, on paper, and you're having to pretend the other um, coaches to be on the course are little kids and you kind of them on to chicanes and, and showing techniques of how to corner and, and how to climb and how to break and all this kind of stuff. So it's really, really intensive but uh, an amount of fun and hopefully I can translate that uh, into, the, into the local um, youth development club which I'm involved with. Well, that's, that's a great thing. Keep us posted on, on, on how that goes in the future, would you? Yeah, sure. That's great. All right, last but not least, because we're, we're running out of time here, uh, it's your favorite part of the show, guys. Um, really quickly, I'm looking for your cycling tip of the week, and we're going to start with Tim Jackson. <laughs> I thought for sure you were going to stick it to Tim Grawl. Oh, man. I'm giving Go, him, Tim no, 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 I'm giving Tim Grawl a little bit more time. <laughs> okay, okay. He's, he's doing some research on the Internet right now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's googling uh, cycling tips. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Testosterone patches. Yes, exactly. How to make your own. Um, my cycling <laughs> tip. This is uh, something that I picked up many years ago, and and has been one that I have held on to. Um, you know, all those exp expensive race tires that you have that have those really nice, thin, supple casings, great treads on them that you eventually wear out wear bald or get a flat and have to toss out. If you take an old clincher and just get some either good sharp scissors or some tin snips, something like that, cut a section of the tire out about, mm, I, I cut about three of them actually, one at about an inch, one about an inch and a half, one about two inches long, and you cut it from bead to bead, trim some of the loose edges off, and use that as a tire boot because Many times you get flats that aren't just small holes, they're cuts through the tire, and you have to find a way to patch that hole from the inside so that the tube doesn't blow out through the hole. So I just take a couple of these pieces of tire, put them in a, uh, inside my, my seat pack, and then if I or someone I'm riding with has a, a big cut in the tire, then we replace the tube, throw in the boot, and we're good to ride. And that has, that has saved you many a ride I've been on. Do you know you can make belts as well with tires? Yeah, I have. Have seen, you seen those? Belts? Yeah, yeah. Like this company that makes these wonderful belts. And you can use like the cog is the P 
piece that keeps it together or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I have that's seen what that. I've seen. That is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? See, there's three tips in one. Okay, <laughs> see. Yeah, yeah so that, I mean, that's just one way to, to, to use an, an old tire like that. And I, 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 the reason I say race tire is because the, that casing is more supple. Right. So right. it's easier to get inside the other tire and not have a big, huge lump that you're riding over. So you feel that bump, 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 bump every time the tire goes around. So it's just it's a little more convenient ride-wise to, to use a, a good tire casing for that. Great, great tip. Thank you. Carlton, you're next. Well, I'll stick with clothing of sorts in that uh, it's a tour, another touring tip um, from my days long, long ago as a cycle tourist. You can get these products commercially now, but I used to make them myself with uh, socks. And it, it's a, it'll be useful for, for you in uh, California, David. It's even on a, a long ride where you're not touring. And that is you get a sock, an old sock, a white one preferably, and you soak it in water and you put it over your water bottle. And as you're riding along, that cools your water down. And I, I used that in my desert trips. And I used to have fantastically cold water in the middle of these uh, amazingly hot deserts. So... It's a bit Heath Robinson, if you know what that means, but it uh, it, it really works. Heath Robinson, I'm guessing, is a bit like MacGyver. Oh, uh, you've caught me there, but maybe. Is MacGyver a wacky inventor? Uh, no, Mac MacGyver's a guy who used to have a TV show, and, and he would always get in a really bad fix. At the end of the show, he would... And make a bomb out of a piece of bubblegum wrapper and a toothpick. Exactly. Hey, you know, you can buy those on DVD oh, now. I yeah. got those for Christmas. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so, I'm going to try not to hold that against it, you. It, it, I think it sounds similar. Okay, good. All right. Tim Grawl, you're up. Okay, I would say um, a lot of trips you take the uh, cliff bars or the energy bars, and a lot of times they'll cost you at least a dollar a piece, uh, especially if you get the all-natural ones. They'll be a little more. And uh, if you've seen the, if you haven't seen these yet, they're called a uh, Trailblaze Energy Bar Mix, and you can get them. It's at uh, it's MadisonJacks.com. We'll put a link in the show notes, I'm sure. And uh, what you do is they give you this mix, and you add something like you can add your own ingredients, so you can um, flavor it with uh, applesauce or yogurt or even peanut butter. And you make your own energy bars, and you just uh, stick them in the oven, and you cook them, and they're good for a few days, and so you can take them on your rides. And they usually cost uh, less than 50 cents a bar, so it'll save you about half the money, and you can flavor them to whatever you like. So uh, I've made them, and uh, they're really good, and uh, they work well. Wow, that's a great tip. See, you, you had one. Have you... Have you, yeah, that's in the uh, how-tos in blue collar. <laughs> <laughs> you get visit. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Guys, do you get do you get do you get Viz across there? Do you Have you what? heard of the magazine Viz? No. Viz? No, no. no. Uh -uh. It's a, an adult cartoon comic, and they, we, 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 we risk uh, venturing into their realm here because they do this uh, or they used to do this top tips section, which is like a, a piss take on uh, the top tips you get in in tabloid newspapers. <laughs> a, a piss take? Oh, I'm on. I'm on. What is that? that? Sorry. I'm sure no, I don't I'm know sure what Tim that means. There goes our oh. clean tag. Um, 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 no, what's a piss tag? I don't know what take that the is. Mickey. Taking what? the Mickey. Taking the Mickey. <laughs> Taking the Mickey. I love it. I love it. God. All these wonderful expressions. 
I thought, dude, I thought I'm from the south. English. I don't know any of these English expressions. <laughs> That's okay. They don't. They don't speak English, Tim. Okay. All right. <laughs> Fizz magazine runs this 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 thing. I'm now thinking of an American expression for it. I can't. But they run this um, thing that takes the Mickey is a piss steak is whatever the American term for it is, where they take top tips, and it's a joke basically. But my favorite was uh, where they said, save on getting plush carpets throughout your house. Just cut a square of carpet, strap to your feet, and then walk around your house. And then you have a plush carpet wherever you go in your house. So, yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah. I like that. All right, my, like tip, the of the week, my, my tip of the week, and it's, it's a really simple one. And when somebody first told me about it, I laughed. But it... It works, and I use it all the time. So you're changing again. It's a tire tip. You're putting new tires on your bike, and um, you're you're setting them on the rim. And one of the things that I found to be extremely helpful is on the side of of every tire, there is a little uh, label or a patch on there that will usually just the brand name of the tire. Mm-hmm. And what I tend to do is I tend to align that with the valve hole on the rim. And I do this because when I am out there and I get a flat and I'm totally oxygen deprived and I just want to get this thing done really quickly and I've got to find where the valve is or I'm getting ready for a ride and I need to pump up my tires. You you know it always gets lost somewhere in the spokes, right? Just look for that label on the side of the tire, and boom, there's your valve, and you're ready to go. It seems really stupid. I laughed my head off when I first heard it, but since I've been using it, I've been glad I heard about it. One other good thing about that, too, tire-related, is that by having the uh, what they call the hot patch or label over the valve like that is that it positions that in a predictable spot so that when you get a flat, you take the flat tube out, and you know how it is, if you don't know where the hole is in the tire, where the thorn is, then you're just going to repuncture another tube. So you take the bad tube out, find out where the hole is on that, and then just go from the valve stem and find out where it is in the tire. Then you can just go, oh, okay, it's three inches away from the valve stem on the tube, so it's three inches away from the patch on the tire. Then you just go in, oh, there's that piece of glass, and now you don't puncture another tube right away. There you go. So it, two ways that that tip works very well for you. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, we've gone very long today, guys, but I appreciate all of your time. Uh, I want to let everybody know where you can be found, so we're going to start at the top of the list. Tim Grawl, where can people find you and your fine work, and how can they contact you? Uh, you can find uh, my personal blog and the other uh, blogs that I've run at crookedcog.com. The podcast is at crookedcogpodcast.com, and then you can email me at tim at crookedcog. Excellent. Carlton Reed. Mikebiz.com, quickrelease.tv, and CarltonReed at Mac.com. Excellent. And Hamburger Girl is still in place. (laughs) You betcha. Excellent. Tim Jackson. They can find me at mozzieguy.blogspot.com. They can also find me at uh, Shut Up and Drink the Kool-Aid. They can just Google that. And uh, T. Jackson at moziebikes.com. Real good. I'm David Bernstein from the Fredcast Cycling Podcast at www.thefredcast.com. You can email me at thefredcast at gmail.com. And if you're looking for our show notes for this show or our blog page, you can find that at www.the-spokesmen.com. 
Thanks, everyone, for listening and staying subscribed and, and enduring through our brief hiatus. Uh, we will be back in another two weeks with another edition of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. Until then, get out there and ride. <laughs>